You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. We're going to wrap up the uh, Thank God It's Monday series on work today. We've got a special treat uh, for that. Uh, Angela Otero is going to come and share the message with us this morning. Would you please welcome Angela? Thanks, Ruth. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. I'm going to take my cough drop. So like Reese said, I get to wrap up the series. Thank God it's Monday. TGIM, right? No, we like to TGIF, right? Yes, I like to TGIF, but thanking God it's Monday is pretty hard. To look at our jobs as something to be thankful for isn't, isn't always easy. If I'm being honest, and I think if a lot of us are being honest. <clears throat> but we thank God it's Monday because welcoming God into our workplace is good and it's right. And if you've missed any of those sermons along the way, they were great. And I would encourage you, go back, take a listen. You can find them on our podcast and, and Facebook Live as well. So last week, Roger talked about, um, so last week, Roger taught us about clear identity in God and how it shapes a way of living that then translates and generates more glory for God in our workplaces and with the people we work with. And the week before, Pastor Reese preached about the dignity of all work. And that when we view our jobs from the vantage point, it impacts the way that we see what we do, and it impacts the way we view and value the work of others. So today, I get to end this TGIM series back where Pastor Reese began us on the very first week. In Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, where work first began. And today we'll be answering some questions like, what do we do when work goes amiss? And learning about finding healthy rhythms of work and rest. But first, let's, let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. We welcome you again in this place today and we offer these next 30 minutes to you. You have something to say to each of us because you care about each of us and you care about the work that we do. And we wanna bring glory to our workplaces and we wanna value all the people who do honest and faithful work. And we wanna have gratitude for our jobs. Help us to see that what we do is a noble vocation and go with us into our places of work for your glory and for good of all people. And open our hearts today to where you would like to move our relationship, where you would like to change our relationship with our work. Amen. Okay, so turn with me, if you will, back to Genesis. And let's look again at the first work. Now, this is a long passage, but let me encourage you to settle in. It's important that we read scripture sometimes in in context and not just cherry pick verses all the time. So let's look at this chunk. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 9. 
And it says, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That means God made everything gorgeous and nourishing. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Notice here, this is what Pastor Reese pointed out on our very first week. God gave work before the fall. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So God's saying all of this beauty and all of this nourishment is yours for the taking. Just don't make this one choice over here because that one's not a healthy choice. So then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. And I'd like to pause right here, if you will. Because this is important to say. Throughout history, many misguided, misinformed people have used this passage to disqualify or diminish the role of women in the household and in the workplace, or to keep women out of their vocations and their callings. Because they thought that this word that we translate into English as helper means, what do you think of when you think of helper? I think of assistant, right? Here's Batman, he's the real hero, and then here's Robin, he's the assistant, right? But the word here is actually that we translate into English as helper that's not as precise as we can be with this translation. In the original Hebrew, this word, it's Easter. And have you heard that word before? Like, God is our Ebenezer, right? Where else have we heard this word? We hear it actually 21 times in the Old Testament, 16 times to refer to God himself. So in Deuteronomy, we see it, verse, uh, chapter 33, verse 26. There is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to your help, to your Easter. And through the skies in his majesty. This is not a diminutive word. It's a word that means savior, rescuer, hero. And I'm not making this stuff up. I got this straight out of the American standard lexicon. Hebrew lexicon. Any men out there, can, can you testify that your wife has saved you a time or two? Amen, right? So we see here, back in Genesis, God's heart. We see God's heart. God made Eve to be an Easter, a, re a rescuer to Adam, because it's not good for the man to do it alone. They were made to do their God-given work together, together. Before the fall, they were colleagues. Before the fall, they were co-gardeners with benefits, if you will. <laughs> so back to chapter three in Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree? (laughs) See, they're just such evil words. I can't even get them out of my mouth. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And we know the story, right? They eventually ate. And in in verse 7, it says, The eyes of both were opened, and they knew themselves to be naked. Hold this in your mind for a minute. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. But he finds them, and he goes and talks to them. And he says, why did you guys do this? Now there's consequences. In verse 17, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And then in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. So with all of that, What we need to see here is that before the fall, they worked together in perfect companionship, no strife, no battle of the sexes. Before before the fall, they worked, but they didn't need clothes. And they worked, but they didn't need food. No strife, no need, only occupation, vocation, Stewardship of creation. So sin has ruined human occupation. It turned our work into labor. But the Bible, if it teaches us anything at all, it teaches us that God is in the rescue business. Amen. And he wants to break the tyranny of work and to redeem it and to return it to life-giving, life-affirming occupation. God, our great physician and eater, has prescribed for us some healthy rhythms, healthy rhythms that help return our work to life-giving occupations. So I want to talk about two today. There's lots more than two, but we're going to focus in on two. I want to talk about tithing, and I want to talk about keeping the Sabbath. And I don't want to talk about these as some idealistic aim, like, yeah, yeah, we've heard those words and we know that they're good. I really want to talk about them on kind of like a nitty-gritty, well, then how do I do this in this context? Because the Bible talks about it, but what does that really mean? So let's talk about tithing first. How can tithing change our relationship with work? Let me tell you a story. So I'm a mom. I'm a mom of two, and I have a son, and he's about to be 12 in November. But when he was two, he had this obsession with construction trucks, and he learned all their names. Um, But before he learned all their names, he just called them tractor diggers. And um, he had these tractor diggers, and he had this one. It was his favorite, and its wheel always came off. And um, so, and he wasn't the kind of kid that would put stuff in his mouth, so, you know, we'd, we'd let him keep it. But I'd reach down to take this tractor digger because I'm a good mom and I want to fix his toy, and he'd hold it close to his chest, mine! And I'd say, Garrett, I love you. 
I, I, I want to fix it for you. I promise. I'll give it back. And the more often it broke, and the more often he'd have to g- struggle with giving it to me, and the more often I'd put it back together and give it back to him, the more he learned to trust me, that I'm a good mom. I always give the toys back. And as a matter of fact, I'm the source of new toys, too. <laughs> and that's how it is with God. He wants us to trust that he's good. We don't need to be suspicious of his motives. When he asks us to give him something, it's for a reason. So tithing, it stops us. It stops us in our tracks from the fear, this fear that we're not going to have enough, this fear that began in the garden. Tithing interrupts our compulsion to acquire as much as we can, as fast as we can, And it teaches our hearts that God is our provider. So who? Who should tithe? The rich? Well, the Bible shows us that all of God's children can and should. God repeatedly commands the children of Israel to offer tithes to him in the book of Numbers, in the book of Deuteronomy. And Jesus affirms this as good. He says, give to God what is God, give to Caesar what is Caesar's right? Tithe and pay your taxes. And then Paul, he urges the believers in the churches to give generously as well. Tithing is something God asks all his children to do from the beginning of time and still today. So what is this word that I keep using, tithe? Well, we get it in places like Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, where it says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. So they were an agrarian society, which meant that all their earnings came out of the land. Whatever they could grow and whatever they could raise as livestock, that was their income. And so tithe comes from this word, the same word as tenth. It was an offering given to God, usually brought to the temple or the place of worship of 10% of one's income. So in modern language, since I can't bring my wheat and my lamb to God, um, that would translate into how we get paid. So if we get paid $300 a week, then I would tithe $300 a week. If I make $130,000 a year, I would tithe $13,000 a year, a tenth, right? Easy enough. So when then? When do we tithe? Proverbs 3 The very same one that says, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Just a few short verses later, he says in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of your crop, then your barns will be full to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. That means that we are encouraged to give God first, and then to enjoy or save the rest. And the promise that comes with that is that he will faithfully provide abundantly. Paul tells the Corinthians, on the first day of the week, he says, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. First, before you start spending, because they would get paid at the end of the week. They'd do a week's worth of labor. The Corinthians are in a city, so they're not as agrarian. They'd do a week's worth of labor, 
they'd get paid, and Paul says, before you do anything else, first thing you do, first day of the week, set aside some money. He actually goes on to say the reason to do that is because he's coming to town and he needs support for his ministry and he doesn't want them to be like wrestling around in their pockets. Quick, quick, what are we going to give Paul to keep supporting him? He's trying to prevent some embarrassment there. He says, plan ahead. So first, before we start spending and every time that we get income, God invites us to give back to him with regularity and with generosity. It's a cycle. It's a rhythm. It's a self-discipline. The Bible calls that the tithe. And depending on your pay cycle, some people do this once a week, and some people do this once a month. I've known college professors that they get a grant once a year, so they do it once a year, but they do it first as the grant comes in. The point is that God invites us to give him our first and our best every time. And we need to make this a pre-made decision because if we wait till we feel like we're going to have enough to afford it, we've completely missed the point of the rhythm, of the habit. So where? Where do we give to God? How do we give to God? If he could just walk up to me, I would give him my tithe. But it doesn't work that way. So in my opinion, to give to God The best way to do that is to give to my local church. And I'll tell you why I think that. Because when I give my tithe to my local church, it's totally out of my hands from then on. It's up to God, and it's up to the church council what happens with it after that. And it builds in me this trust, again, that I don't have to be in control of my dollars and how they get spent. They're not mine anymore. And it's the job, isn't it? It's the job of the members of the church to support the ministries of the church and the ministers of the church. So why do we tithe them? I mean, it should be enough that God commands it and so we do it. But God is a good God. He doesn't just command, give me your tractor digger. He says, I want to fix it. He asks us to give our toys, to give our treasures back to him because there is something that needs to be fixed. And in this case, it's our relationship with our work and with our money. He says, give some of that back to me and I will change your perspective. Does God need our money? No, the whole earth is his. He needs nothing, nothing from us but he invites us into a rhythm of offering back to him what is already his. This is a work in our hearts, and it changes us from the inside out. And I catch myself praying prayers like, God, make me less stingy. Or we all want to be less fearful of having enough, so God, help me to trust you that there'll be enough. And we all want to participate in the good work of the church. God, show me how I can make a difference. And he says, I've already answered those prayers. Tithe. It takes time and time again, month after month, year after year, when we open our hands, it also opens our eyes and it opens our hearts to receive. 
more fully the good things that God has waiting to give back to us. Proverbs says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. So tithing can change our relationship with our work. But another thing that can change our relationship with our work is keeping the Sabbath. And the very first mention that we hear of Sabbath in the Bible is in Genesis, where after six days of God creating the earth, God stops and takes the seventh day for rest. And he models this rhythm of work and then rest from the very, very beginning. And when we take Sabbath, God gives rest. He gives us a reset. He gives us well-being. He gives us renewal. It's like a reboot of the soul. Everybody knows when your phone starts lagging or your laptop starts freezing, what do you do? You reboot. It builds back up. It starts from the beginning, and it's, it's, it functions more properly. So God asks his people from the beginning to honor the Sabbath with their whole household. If we look in Deuteronomy, right there in the middle of the Ten Commandments, right where, right where it says, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, it also says, and do this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And holy, Roger explained last week, means set apart for a special purpose. So it's different from all the other days. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter or your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any foreigner residing in your land. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out. He brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. God's saying, I didn't deliver you out of slavery so that you can come and now be a slave to your own work all over again. My intention is freedom. That's the heart of God. So we use this phrase, keeping the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? Well, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart. It needs to look different than all the other days. And he says, and you shall not do any work. Well, one man's work is another man's joy. I'm a gardener. My husband and I can agree to disagree on that one. He says, you're no longer slaves. I want you to pause and remember you're not human doings. I made you to be human beings. God likes to remind us that we're worth more than we can do. We don't believe that about ourselves. We tend to believe we are what we do. You know, try telling me who's been like, I've not had a job for the last year. I'm like, who am I? I don't even know who I am anymore. Um, 
But I am a gardener, I can tell you this, and I have spent a lot of hours gardening in this last year. And when my daughter was little, she loves nature too. And so when my daughter was little, she's like two and a half, and we'd moved into this new home, and man, this girl's got style and personality. And so I'm out in the garden, sweaty and looking ridiculous, covered in mud and everything, and she clumps out in her little toy high heels and her necklace and a little kid's shovel and goes, Mama, give me a job. And I was like, okay, sweet girl. You see these weeds right here? They're in the way of the flowers. So you dig them up for me, won't you? So this little girl, she steps into my garden in her play high heels, crushing several of my desirable plants on her way. She manages to dig up a few flowers before she makes her way to the weed. And she digs like an inch down and then goes, I done. And she tromps on a few of my plants on the way out. I asked both my kids permission to tell these stories today, by the way. But why did I ask Audrey to pull weeds with me? Because I thought that she was going to be super helpful. No, because I love her. And I love who she is. And I love that she wants to be with me. And I delight in her personality. It's just fun to be with her and do something with her, even if she helps far less than I think she thinks she's helping. (laughs) And this, too, is the heart of our Father God. Usually when we ask to help, we're not helping that much at all. But his heart is to be with us. He's like, oh, you want to come alongside and do this, too? Okay, come with me. It's not the productivity he's after. He's after the friendship He doesn't love us for how much we get done. He loves us for our personality and for our style doing it. So when do we Sabbath? Right here in Deuteronomy 5, it tells us, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it's a seven-day rhythm of work and then rest. And I think God wants us to be literal here. No place in the Bible does God change this to metaphor. It's always literal. It doesn't do what it's meant to do until we actually follow the rhythm faithfully. So because my husband Roger is a pastor, his day off is Friday. And so we take our family Sabbaths on Friday, and we do it literally, and we do it for 24 hours. And then we use Saturdays for our family work, work at home, and like social obligations. And when I mean social obligations, I mean like kid parties, because frankly, those are not rest. Anybody? (laughs) (laughs) And then Sunday through Thursday, that's when we spend our time on our occupations. So there's the six days of work and the one day of rest. And now these days, everybody's work schedules are different. But that doesn't mean that the commandment is void. Just means it's a little harder for us to figure out what our family rhythm's gonna be, what our personal rhythm's gonna be. So where do we Sabbath? Hmm. Now I use Isaiah 58 for this one, verses 13 and then 14 in a minute. And I think it's important to note, note the essence of this verse because this one's a little less specific. 
But it says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please, dot, dot, dot. Generally speaking, I take that to mean to be still, maybe more still than I'd be on the other six days, to stay near home, find things that delight me, ask God, what good things do you have for me on this Sabbath day? I think this part shows that it's about intention. It's about intention. So Roger does two things on his Sabbath pretty faithfully. He goes to the gym in the mornings because it helps him get out of his head and into his body. And that's a good thing. But then he balances that with staying home most of the day and always, always the Friday afternoon nap. Because that to him is delightful. I do it a little bit differently because I am a little bit different. Um, But I choose things that are relaxing. I choose things that are introverted. And I do things that I'd normally feel guilty doing on other days of the week because they're not quite so productive. And it's the day that I let myself feel free from everyone else, family accepted, but from everyone else's obligations. Because to me, my form of slavery is, what do other people want from me? What do other people need from me? What are people expecting of me? And so God says, nope, on your Sabbath, you only think of me. And those weeds we're going to pull. So why? Why do we keep Sabbath? Again, this should be one of those things that we do just because God commands it. But he's a good God, and he loves to give benefits with his friendship with us. And so he invites us to Sabbath because it reminds ourselves that all time is God's. And we Sabbath to limit ourselves and to release our time and our fear that we won't get things done. When we take a Sabbath, God gives us rest and reset and well-being and renewal. It's the reboot of the soul. And this leads to greater job satisfaction, higher productivity on the other six days of the week, greater calm, more joy, more gratitude for life. And if you've caught yourself praying anything like, I am angry a lot. God, help my temper. Or God, I am so tired of feeling tired. Give me energy. Or my anxiety, it's growing. It's growing every day. Lord, help me ease my anxiety. Or I am so sick of this job. God, get me out. Then he says, I've already made a way for you. Keep the Sabbath. Because the other part of Isaiah 58, verse 14 says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and not going your own way, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. So in closing... We don't keep Sabbath or tithe to earn 
God's approval. Remember, we are just little kids stomping all over our papa's pretty garden. (laughs) And he loves us anyway. And he says, come on. We don't tithe or keep Sabbath to earn God's approval. We tithe and we keep Sabbath because God wants to return us, return us to his good and perfect plan. They're both a cure. They're both a cure for what sin has done to our relationship to work. And they're both ways of inviting God into our work and our rest. Amen? Amen.